collaboration isn't the lowest common denominator. It's it's it requires maybe paying some attention to personas. It also re- requires paying a close attention to the rapid developments in the market. I mean, if you look at you know video conferencing apps in March of 2020 and the feature set versus what they can do now and a lot of the AI capabilities are built in, um, you know, it's it's a whole different world. Welcome to a bonus episode. Today, we're talking about the massive disruption to working life and the impact of collaboration tools on accelerating digital transformation. Microsoft Teams, Slack, Zoom, WebEx, all of these cloud-based platforms and more have helped companies manage distributed workforces, but they have also been driving business success. Today, we talk with Erwin Lazar, President and Principal Analyst at Metrogy Research, about his new study into workplace collaboration. We spoke with Erwin on this topic last year, actually in May 2020, in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. The amount of change since then has been tremendous, and the data is very telling. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Erwin, welcome back to the podcast. We're thrilled to have you again. Great to be here. It's nice to, to chat with you again, George. Yeah. So the last time you were here was May 5th, 2020, right in the dip of the economy, right in the middle of the pandemic. Um, You know, we're kind of, we're not quite on the other side of it, but it's good to sort of revisit things after um, the year. And also after we are now at a point where I think companies begin to see the end is in sight with uh, massive vaccinations going on. Um, so I wanted to take a, a moment here. We're very excited to dig into this study that you've done on workplace collaboration and just give you a chance. You know, if you were stuck in an elevator, remember when people used elevators <laughs> and you had to give someone kind of a high level summary of what you have found in this massive study, um, what would you say to them? Um, I think obviously uh, people are working from home. So we, we looked at two areas in the study. What, what are people doing now to communicate and collaborate effectively? And then what are they thinking about in terms of uh, potential return to the office when it's safe to do so? Um, so it, it, in the return now area, I mean, I'm sorry, in the, in the now area, it's obviously been a lot of use of video and of team collaboration. And we're starting to see additional collaboration applications like whiteboard and project tools and so on, uh, workflow management and so on, starting to enter the, the, the workplace. As, as companies look for towards the next year or so, the expectation is not everyone's coming back. In fact, mm-hmm. most people will probably stay home. Um, so the, in that case, they continue to, to try and flesh out what's the optimal strategy going forward for what'll be a, a split workforce, some people in the office and many people at home. Cool. Okay. Um, all right. So there's a, there's a lot in this study. We definitely want to dig into some of the key findings. Um, before we do that, uh, when you were here last year, you were here as part of Nemerity's research and now you are president and principal analyst at Metrogy. Could you give us, let's st- take a step back and just explain Metrogy's mission and, and kind of that sidestep, and then we'll we'll dig in here. Yeah, we launched Metrogy on January 1st, kind of an interesting time to start a company, but I uh, <laughs> figured, you know, no time like the present, right? Uh, so with uh, Nemertis, we essentially had uh, two fairly distinct uh, research focuses. Uh, one was uh, customer and employee engagement, and the other was focused on networking and, and uh, more IT, CISO mm-hmm. level security 
Um, we decided to split. We had different audiences, different research methodologies, and so on. So we launched Metrogy as uh, solely focused on employee and customer engagement. And we uh, are the, the the name Metrogy is means metrics plus strategy. So mm-hmm. everything that we publish, every piece of advice we offer is is based on hard data. It's based on on what we gather from. Uh, not only what are enterprises doing and what are they planning, but what are the characteristics of successful companies? Okay. That's a really great summary. It's also a really great um, segue here. So let's talk about um, this workplace collaboration study you did. It's an impressive amount of data. Uh, It's 476 companies, 11 countries, and across 54 industries. So very robust, very representative of um, you know, popular sentiment in terms of how leaders are thinking about the tools they need to help workers, but also how they connect to customers. So um, I wanna take a moment. I think what stood out to me first in the study is that you are able to use this data to look at companies that are quote unquote successful and those that experience less success. So it's not just like a data dump of trends, you can actually correlate that to business success. Um, could you speak a little bit to those success metrics? Yeah. So what we've been looking at in the collaboration space for the last few years is what's the business value of collaboration. So you know, it, it, it you don't normally have to justify why I'm why am I giving everyone email and a telephone? You know, right. It's, it's uh, they, they kind of need it, right? So we've start we we've been looking at. at is there a way to, to justify the value of additional uh, collaboration applications like team messaging and video and, and uh, work, uh, whiteboard workflow, et cetera? And so we gather, um, we, we ask our participants if they've measured any return on investment in terms of cost savings or revenue increase associated with their collaboration investment. And we also ask if they've measured any productivity benefits. You know, are there repeatable processes that they can look at mm-hmm. and say, you know what? After we deployed X, we shortened it by you know twenty percent, that kind of thing. Um, and then we took the participants who had actually measured some level of benefit, and we segmented out the ones that were above average with the ones that were below average. And that above average group became our our, our kind of control success group. Mm-hmm. Uh, we ended up with eighty five companies out of the four hundred and seventy six that had above average either ROI or gain in productivity. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. So what? We dug into the stats. I mean, these are no small potatoes, right? It's um, 23% cost savings, 22% increase in revenue per employee. So I think, um, I don't know what I want to say here other than the pandemic seemed like it was survival mode for a lot. I think that was the popular conception is that, you know, the growth in Microsoft Teams adoption or Cisco WebEx or Slack was just ways to keep the lights on. But it seems like in your research, you found companies that, you know, to belabor a a cliche, they're not only surviving, but thriving with this technology. They found a way to actually do better with it. Yeah, you know, we we looked at where uh, companies are spending and where they're planning on spending in 21. 
And we found that across the overall uh, pool of participants, they were spending more on, um, on video applications and, and additional uh, capabilities within those apps, video endpoint hardware as they plan for people to come back to the office, and team messaging applications. And again, you know, kind of some of the additional capabilities that are available. When we looked at what, what is the success group doing differently, the one area that rose to the top was security. Uh, success group was spending about 19% higher, um, 19% more of the success group was spending, uh, increasing spending on security versus the non-success group. Um, we also found other areas, especially around additional collaboration applications. And what I think that tells us is, you know, this from the success group standpoint, they're trying to get a hold or a handle around all the different applications mm-hmm. that entered the office over the last year. You know, uh, six different team collaboration apps and three different meeting apps and uh, especially connecting those apps outside of their companies and allowing people to come in um, channels that, that, that they're using for customer engagement or have, have drastically increased over the last year. So we do find that, you know, as far as a, a couple of the different you know, core differences in the security group, not only do they tend to use a lot of the technologies more, but they're they're much more focused on how do we effectively secure these apps so that people can take advantage of the benefits of them. I wonder if that speaks to a mindset or a, a cultural difference, right? That instead of embracing these tools like a slapdash duct tape solution, you know, they had a much more systemic view of the problem. Like we are going to use these tools to transform and therefore we know that data is passing through them. And we, I'm just talking, I'm just thinking out loud here in terms of, you know, on the face of things, if you said companies that spend more on security are also seeing revenue increases, that's, that's great. But I think it's somewhat counterintuitive to, to some business leaders thinking. Yeah, I think it goes back to their, their focused on how do we safely take advantage mm-hmm. of the technologies that are out there versus lock down and say, no, we, you know, we're not going to allow you to use X, Y, and Z because we don't know how to deal with things like uh, protection against uh, attack, uh, data loss prevention, um, ar- archiving and compliance and governance, and, and all of those fun things that you have to worry about. Um, you know, when you start to see the explosion in, in what's stored in these applications. So, mm-hmm. you know, a meeting app isn't just a video conferencing app anymore. It has chat and it has the ability to share files and it has the ability to generate a transcript and, and notes and action items and so on. And there's there's so much exploding uh, content out there that I think companies have often or increasingly are struggling with. How do I deal with that? And the successful ones are ones that are more proactive in saying, you know, what do we need to do from a security standpoint to, to make sure that we can safely realize the benefits of the improved collaboration applications. Yeah. It must also say something about the way those leadership teams worked. Like it was not just one buyer going out and procuring an IT solution. They must have had a plan, right? Like compliance and governance wasn't a blocker because they were on board with, you know, this team over here in IT that, you know, they were all in conversation together to find a solution. I think we'll, we'll return to that point in a moment. Another thing that stood out, to me in reading the study was this idea of the work hub, which again, I think sounds on the surface like a very obvious point, but I, but the data seems to suggest that there is a change in the way people approach the collaboration and communication channels, just their, their mindset of how they use it for business operations. Could you elaborate a little on that data point? 
Yeah, we saw this year about 58% of the companies that use team collaboration. So to back up a little bit, it's about almost 70% of companies that are using team apps, so Microsoft Teams, WebEx, Slack, et cetera. Um, of those, about 58% are operating under the view that that's now the hub. That's where people work. So all of my applications should be connected into that team space. Um, that's how I uh, ideally would connect with people outside of my company. Mm-hmm. Um, how that's, uh, I, I should be able to get data. I should be able to build workflows in that space. That's a big change from, you know, we, we last asked that question in 2019 and it was in the low twenties at oh, the wow. time, the majority of people were still seeing, you know, these team messaging apps as kind of, okay, it's a better instant messaging you know, <laughs> persistent messaging. Woo-hoo. Um, you know, it's got no, mobile notifications and so on. I've fixed a lot of the, you know, the legacy IM problems. Uh, but I think as you've seen the vendors focus on, Let's let's pull data and other applications into these team spaces. The the market has has moved in that direction. Yeah, that's interesting. When you start to think about how powerful these apps are when they connect into other apps, right? So um, you've also found a preponderance of companies using more than one app. And so, how do they talk to one another? How do different departments using different apps talk to one another? Like, for example, does the customer success team connect? their customer engagement channels directly into the work hub or some ticketing system. I think that interoperability is, is probably a big trend moving forward. Yeah, um, we find there's differences in how different apps are typically deployed. So uh, on one end, we saw Microsoft Teams tends to be available to everybody in a company in most mm-hmm. cases, where Slack is more a departmental level deployment. So yeah, you do end up with the potential of different islands or, or people using more than one app. So, you know, I use... Uh, say Slack as an example within my 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 application development team, but you know corporate wide we we have teams. Um, so you see two approaches. One is where they just say, okay, we'll just leave those as separate islands, kind of separate use cases. Others where they start to look at how do we connect those together. And uh, when you when you go into that world, that now your your choices are generally limited because the vendors really don't have native interoperability with mm-hmm. one another. So you end up having to look at a third-party solution, and then the question becomes: You know, how do you control? How do you secure that? Uh, again, if I if I send my data from one app to a third party and then back to another app, you know, wh- is, where are the encryption keys? So who who has a, who can look at that data and so on become big challenges. Yeah, and I'm going to ask you to put on your prognostication hat for a, a short bit here. So. You have seen in sort of the immediate aftermath here that a lot of the workforce is staying at home or there's some kind of hybrid plan. It strikes me that the level of investment in this type of software is such that its use will extend well into the future. I mean, I know that wasn't the focus of this study, but do you feel like these platforms are going to be used to the same extent, quote unquote, after the pandemic in some, you know, post-COVID reality where there's been a reasonable amount of uh, immunity? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that the trend was pretty clear before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I think the pandemic just sped up a lot of trends that oh, we right. were seeing originally. You know, So we were already seeing a rise in video before the pandemic. We were seeing a rise in team collaboration. I think the, the, the only barrier remaining in the team you know, space is external. You know, is how do I uh, build a, a secure and functional use cases that allow 
people to set up team spaces beyond company boundaries. Mm-hmm. So in the Slack world, they have Slack Connect, which you can pull 20 companies, I think is the, the cap right now, into a single workspace. The, the other vendors in the market really don't have anything similar right now. So they default usually to guest accounts, which create challenges. Of, yeah, for sure. You know, <laughs> you know, how do I manage that and so on? Okay. But I, I think you know once we have better solutions for, for B2B and even B2C, you know, there's a lot of use cases where... Uh, I want to set up a persistent workspace for a long-term customer engagement, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, loan processing or uh, merger and acquisition or, you know, all different use cases where I might have um, maybe not necessarily, uh, I guess the merger and acquisition one is more B2B. But, you know, if you think about healthcare and 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 finance are, are the two ones, we, we tend to see the most interest in how do I set up that persistent workspace so I can stay in touch with my customer throughout uh, an engagement or maybe as part of a continual engagement with that customer. I think once you, you start to solve those challenges, you know, then the, the, you've, you've now cracked the last bastion of, of what team uh, collaboration can do and email really f- fades into the back. Yeah. And I, th- I think um, we're beginning to see some of this out of China. We've had a lot of interest recently with WeChat work, which is kind of the enterprise instance and being a monopoly, they have the advantage of being able to spin up an enterprise internal collaboration instance that connects into WeChat personal, which seems like sort of the vision that you're talking about, right? Companies can uh, work across their teams regionally, internally, but then there may be a customer support channel, you know, to use the parlance of Slack or somewhere where you can connect directly and market to customers inside that same workspace. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, we're definitely seeing a lot of interest on the customer engagement side and taking advantage of, well, we define it as social messaging as mm-hmm. a channel. Uh, we saw in a study we did in the fall of last year, um, more than, it was close to 60% of companies had now either enabled or were planning on enabling integration, whether it's WeChat, WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, mm-hmm. and, and so on. So, um, those are becoming pretty important ways for communicating and collaborating with customers. Yeah. And you can now imagine that if the entire office is in the cloud, that you will have to find a way to connect that into your digital workspace. Because, you know, traditionally you might have a customer success team sitting in a physical office and, you know, a complaint comes through and they can just turn to their coworker or, you know, talk about a process or a problem. And if that coworker is now no longer next to them, but is, you know, hundreds of miles away in a different state, how do you quickly um, serve your customers and solve yeah, those problems? Exactly. Um, so I want to turn to the issue of security. You said something like 85 companies out of the 476 were sort of in the success group. And then of that group, they tended to spend more on security. But I think what stood out to us is that only 21% are using a security platform to ensure consistent policy across there. Do you think that that lag in the security application has something to do with the way the platforms were deployed? Are they playing catch up? Is it um, simply a matter of maybe they don't understand the risks that are in those, those channels? I'm just curious because it feels like to us, it seems very intuitive that Business yeah. communications must contain all sorts of data that you don't want uh, breached or shared or otherwise so exposed. It, 
there's a, a, a process that seems to play itself out anytime we talk about a new collaboration technology, which is, uh, well, we think it'll be secure, so we're just going to roll it out. And then, eh, you know, maybe there are some things we need to worry about. So let's look at what tools the vendor provides. And so we'll, we'll work with those until we hit a point where we think, okay, either A, the vendor tools are insufficient or B, we've got a lot of different vendors and, you know, we don't have any consistency in policy because we've got to move back and forth between different vendor uh, management platforms to see, okay, we need a, a central, we need a standardized uh, security and management platform. So we saw that play out in the in the voice world when voice over IP first started, mm-hmm. uh, and, and we were tracking the use of third-party quality management tools. And, and kind of like you said, it should be intuitive. You know, you really need a management tool, but we saw there was always like a six-month to one-year lag um, by the, b- between rollout and the realization that, you know what, the, the capabilities the vendor provides really aren't good enough. Um, so I think we're, we're probably in that same world. You know, again, if you look at the last year, it was get people home, get them hooked up with something, get video on their desktop, um, get team apps rolled out. And now I think as you move into 21, you're seeing more of a focus on what's the risk, what's the security issue. Um, we probably, you know, can't go to a single vendor solution as much as, as the vendors would want us to. Uh, so, uh, you know, how do we enable consistency and then awareness of the platforms, you know, making sure that companies know that, that uh, platforms like Safeguard and others are, are, are available to them and, and understand what they can bring to the table. Yeah, I guess, I mean, for lack of a better excuse, it's probably, it was hard to know how long they were going to be at home, right? Like maybe we're spinning this up for three months, maybe it's six months and now going on a, a year, you know, a, a more concrete business reality has set in. Um, I did yeah, also, I think we all thought we'd be back by fall, right? And <laughs> back to the March, April conversations. Oh, this will be over by the end of the summer. I was, I was lucky enough to have a couple of doctor friends really just take me aside and be like 2022, like, you know, they were just like realistically, just, I, I don't know. They, they understood the virus spread better than, um, than we did. Um, but I think what, what stood out also is in your success group, this was actually maybe the most startling stat. It's that ownership of these technologies fell to a collaboration team, quote unquote, instead of who you might think is the typical buyer, which is the CISO or the CSO. Do you have any analysis there, some, an interpretation of, of why that might be? Yeah. Um, so what we showed was that in about half of the overall pool of participants, it was the CISO, CISO, uh, CSO, CISO that were responsible for collaboration security. But among our success group, it was, it was different. It was the collaboration teams. Um, and so I think there's two things at play. One is collaboration teams understand the apps more and they understand mm-hmm. you know, what, the, what they need to do and think about from a, a security standpoint. Um, secondly, we've, we when back in the Nemertis days, we, we did a study in 2000, I think it was early, to, uh, late 2019, where we asked uh, CISOs, what do you care about? You know, what was top of mind for you as, as, as perceived security threats? And communications and collaboration security was really low on that list. You know, they were much more concerned about denial of service and ransomware and uh, attacks on customer data stores and things like that, social engineering attacks, et cetera. Um, so even though there's always been, you know, toll fraud has been an issue and you, you run the risk of guest accounts and, and um, 
data being shared into channels that shouldn't be shared, conversations that probably shouldn't happen with people outside. It just never, it, you know, the, I, I want to say there's probably not been enough real world notable attacks that it became a high priority um, for CISOs. And so even though they own responsibility, it's just not something they put a lot of thought into. So, you know, I expect that'll change over time again, as you see the, the, the broadening of the potential threat from all the different places now where content is shared and, and, and the different touch points outside the company. Uh, but I think at least in the short term, you know, CISOs would be wise to rely on the folks who really understand these applications uh, to help them craft successful security strategies. Yeah. And then those companies that have these collaboration teams, is that a, a variety of owners? Is it like you got someone from IT and someone from risk and someone, is it like comprised of different functions or is that like their sole purview is collaboration it, tools? Usually the, the way most companies organize, especially mid to large size is within, a, if there's a team responsible for collaboration, it's probably split into two groups. One is still pretty voice centric. Mm-hmm. And the other one is is focusing on the rest of the application portfolio. They've, they've merged a lot in the last few years. Voice really used to be right. its own uh, function. And then video even used to sit, you know, in its own group. We've seen video converge into that, that team as well. Um, so it's usually, you know, in a lot of companies, if you're thinking about team messaging and team collaboration apps, it's the folks who own SharePoint file uh, stores, oh, mm-hmm. um, you know, so they already knew about how to lock down and how to put policies in and so on. Okay. Yeah, that's an that's an interesting finding. Um, so, I guess um, what do I want to take from all of this, it seems like no less than seismic shift in the way the technology is purchased, the way it is deployed, the way it functions um, to speed up operations inside of a company. So, I guess. What would you say um, to the quote unquote non-success group, not the failure group, the non-success group? About- we, we go back and forth on how we label them. Yeah, yes, right. they're not less successful, non-success. Yeah. Um, what would you say to them in terms of, you know, these are the things that you should do to to get to these ROI metrics that this successful team is it long-term? Strategy planning, is it uh, more collaboration? I don't want to overuse that word, but collaboration at the decision-making process. Like what's the, what is the business moves that they need to, to make to achieve better metrics? Yeah, I, I think it's it's taking advantage of some of the technologies that are out there more quickly. Um, you know, what we found across the board is that the success group, they're more likely to use video. They're more likely to see team collaboration as a work hub. Um, they're more likely to use things like virtual whiteboard applications. So they're more likely to be in the cloud. Uh, we talked about they're more likely to have a proactive security strategy. So, you know, there, there is a direct correlation with your willingness to adopt the technology and your ability to see that, you know, some of those ROI uh, metrics that are, that are available to you. Um, and then I think it's also, there's still, you know, a large percentage of companies from an IT perspective that view IT as a service. Meaning that, you know, your job is to keep the internet connection up and provide basic functionality, but you're not, you know, you're no different than the mailroom in terms of your contribution to to the bottom line. And I think, you know, that's a big area that that is still changing. And and as I mentioned, you know, we've seen it change. It's certainly not like it was two or three years ago. 
but just from an IT uh, standpoint, um, setting you know key performance indicators or, or OKRs or whatever metrics you use that are designed to evaluate the ability of IT to contribute to the bottom line, uh, whether that's improving revenue, reducing cost, improving productivity. So once you're thinking that way, then you start to think about, you know, what applications can I uh, bring to the table and, and deploy? How can I improve the, the applications that are out there already today? Um, and, and, and truly, you know, enable a, a better level of performance from uh, largely, again, a distributed workforce. That's a good point. Um, again, returning to that word mindset, it's like, how do you see technology? Is it the facilitator of these things or is it just a system that is either on or off? Um, so from a leadership perspective, you know, that can be hard if the top brass doesn't have that vision, right? But, you know, maybe IT at the lower level does and is trying to convince that upwards. For the larger companies, is is that change going to take place at the C-level? Like we've seen a lot of appointments recently of chief digital officers whose basic remit is this kind of digital transformation, which apparently includes just changing culture and minds. Is it a board level education? I think something that stood out to me was when the Wall Street Journal found that, you know, in the midst of the pandemic, in the midst of this epic wave of ransomware, you know, only like 5% of boards have somebody with some kind of cybersecurity experience. So it's just like not in the overall governance mindset of a lot of organizations. So where do you see, where are the moves that could be made at those top levels to like force a sea change in, in the culture, in the mindset? Wow. That's a good question. Um, you know, I think, yeah, you talk about chief digital officer. I've seen chief collaboration officer. Mm -hmm. We've seen um, HR leaders taking more of a focus on remote worker health and well-being and, um, and trying to work more closely with collaboration leaders and IT leaders to make sure that, you know, you've got tools in place that support uh, engagement. And, you know, so one of the biggest challenges we've always, we've seen now in the last year in two different studies is uh, management engagement of, of remote workers is, is one of the big, you know, aside from all the technical issues mm -hmm. of supporting a distributed remote workforce, it's making sure that people are, remain part of that company and feel like they're part of a, a team and you preserve culture and so on. Um, so I think in terms of what can drive change and, and companies to think more proactively about uh, the benefits of, of more effective collaboration, you know, I've seen in, in some companies that, that HR is either leading that discussion or working hand in hand with, with IT. Um, you also see that on the return of the office side. So how do we bring people back safely and protect uh, employees and so on, usually as a, as a joint HR IT discussion. Um, so I think again, yeah, you, you, you can, you can look at it, whether it's a, a new role, chief digital officer, chief collaboration officer, um, whether it's the need for uh, C-level executives to realize there is value from investments in collaboration. And, and, and it, is a, it should be a corporate priority to, to focus on how do we equip people with the tools they need to achieve maximum productivity at home. Um, and then I think, you know, it's, it's HR will drive a lot of those discussions around employee happiness and well-being and, and connectedness and so on. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I had totally precluded HR. But yes, I think um, you raise a good point there. If 
people feel more productive, more collaborative, because, you know, it's not the open office plan where they're getting distracted is one thing. But if they lose sight of the connection to the rest of their workers, it also makes them more, what do I want to say? The wanderlust increases, right? You don't, you don't feel as, as uh, grounded. And yeah. so I think, um, I think this is the war for talent will continue, right? I think HR plays a big role in making sure people are, are happy and satisfied and feel like they have a career trajectory now, but certainly they're going to be busy because the labor market is also kind of booming or busting in different directions. And, um, the companies that can offer the, the most, it's just going to be super competitive for talent. I think. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, one of the big challenges that I've seen is, is just understanding the different needs of different classes of workers. So mm-hmm. there's been uh, 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 generational research uh, that's been done that shows, you know, Gen, Gen Z and Gen Y, uh, they want to be in the office. You know, they mm-hmm. they want to meet people. They want to you know build mentor relationships. And millennials and and Gen Xers, they're pretty happy at home because to them, you know, work's not as important as it was. They're pretty, you know, their careers are established already. Uh, and so, you know, if you're if you're thinking from either a an IT perspective or b just an overall, what do we want to do from work from home? You you have to take into account that. Not everybody wants to be at home. And, and, you know, I always hear this perception that, well, no one's ever going to want to come back to the office. Who would ever want to commute again? But then when I talk to people and and I I see that our data that showed about 20 percent of companies are planning on bringing people back, you know, it's not that black and white. And and so if you if you think about what people are looking for out of a job, it's not just, you know, a paycheck. In a lot of cases, it's for sure. It's that social bonding and career development. And. So you need to think about how do we give people uh, the choice is usually what correlates with success in our, our group um, and then support their collaborative needs wherever they're working. Well, I, for sure. I mean, if you're just out of college, you know, going into an office was your introduction to your, you know, your first social networks that were outside of schooling or class. These were people you by rights had to figure out how to get along with or, you know, um, so that's, that is very interesting. I mean, I will say personally, I, I miss, uh, you know, whiteboarding sessions, just doing it on Miro is not quite the same as, (laughs) you know, being hunkered down in the room with amazing takeout and expo markers and just, you know, drawing all over the board. So, um, yeah. Okay. So this has been, uh, really, interesting, really fascinating. I want to sort of, we started with a summary. Um, I guess, what would you want our listeners to take away from this study? Is it kind of a lay of the land or is it a call to arms? Is it a get your act together? What What is sort of the standout from the amount of data that you had to, you had to go through? Yeah, I, I think that to me, the call to arms is you need to make collaboration uh, a priority, employee and external. So both customer facing and, and partner facing as well as, as employee facing. Um, it, it can't be that, you know, we just throw apps out there and hope for the best. Uh, you are suffering competitively if you're not uh, enabling uh, effective collaboration. Uh, and you're likely, you know, like we just talked about, you're, you're likely going to have an unhappy workforce who will be looking at additional opportunities. 
So, you know, I think our key takeaway from this is that there are strong correlations between investments in things like video and team collaboration and workflow-based optimization, security, as we talked about, uh, higher quality video and voice experiences through some of the newer hardware and AI that's out there with a a demonstrable return on investment. Um, So, you know, collaboration isn't the lowest common denominator. It's, it's, it requires maybe paying some attention to personas. It also requires paying close attention to the rapid developments in the market. I mean, if you look at, you know, video conferencing apps in March of 2020, the feature set (laughs) versus what they can do now and a lot of the AI capabilities are built in, um, you know, it's it's a whole different world and and it's accelerating, you know, at at an increasingly rapid pace. Yes. Good point. It's, it's a, it's adapt or die out there. You know, it's about agility and operational efficiency and anyone who can talk to their customers faster and solve problems faster is, is going to have the edge. Um, well, I know you're, I know you're very busy. Thank you both for the study and also taking the time here to, uh, to talk with us about it. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It's always fun to, to talk about it and always fun to talk to you. Yes. And hopefully the next time we speak, it will not have required a pandemic to have generated enough substantive change in the conversation. Yeah, fingers crossed. Thank you to Erwin Lazar for lending his time and expertise to this conversation. If you like what you heard, go ahead and give us a rating on your podcast app of choice. Go ahead and subscribe to get the latest conversations with business and security leaders delivered to you or catch up on past episodes like our interview with Daryl Kelly, who founded the Black Cybersecurity Association while he was still an intern at NASA. This podcast is a production of Safeguard Cyber. Our producer is Chloe LeClaire. Original theme music by Matias Cephaletti and post-production is by Kai Crogetti. Until next time, stay safe, stay strong.